Hello, and welcome to the Limitless Possibilities podcast, episode number five. I'm really glad that you're here, and I'm excited for you to hear today's interview. For those of you that are from Canada and celebrating Canada Day yesterday, happy Canada Day, or happy belated Canada Day to you. And those of you that are from America that are listening, thank you for being here, and happy Independence Day to you guys on Saturday. Make sure you're staying safe, adhering to social distancing rules, and just helping everybody in the world stop the spread of this pandemic virus that we've all been dealing with. One thing that I read recently has been the book by Ryan Holiday about the Stoics, and I've taken a lot from it, but there's been a lot of really great quotes. And if you follow along with me on Instagram on the page, you'll see my daily quotes, and a lot of them do come from the Stoics. One that really stuck out with me, because I think this is something a lot of people can relate to during the current pandemic, is... When someone is properly grounded in life, they shouldn't have to look outside themselves for approval. And I think before the pandemic, not just for myself, but I think a lot of people can relate to this, was we were so busy trying to do things to impress each other or to impress people that maybe we thought were more important. And I say this because I was doing a lot of things to impress people or to keep up with the status quo. And I think during this time, it's really allowed myself and amongst others that I've communicated with to kind of step back and look at what they really want. And if you're a person that's been pushing through, I'm really proud of you. And if you're a person that's looking for inspiration, I really hope that you've been able to find it in the podcast or find it in some of the interviews. Everybody that will be on, including today's guest, is a person that's dealt with adversity and truly has gone through the ups and downs of the roller coaster of life. And Yes, some of the people are professional athletes or people that have had the destiny or the dream of becoming a successful business person. But even along that road, they've had injuries or they've had setbacks, particularly in the climate of the current world. I think the best thing that we can do is pull true inspiration from others. And no, it doesn't have to be somebody that we know. It can be somebody that we follow from. But With all the negativity on social media and all the negativity or the emphasis on negativity placed on everything that we're constantly bombarded with, it's truly amazing to hear somebody be very humble and hear their story about adversity and dealing with evidently or eventually getting to the point of being successful and not being cocky or arrogant about it in a way that they're willing to give back. One thing that I truly appreciate about a lot of the people that I've had the pleasure of connecting with is even though they're in a position of maybe status or fame or, you know, being in a position that some people would never achieve, unfortunately, is that they are all constantly thinking about giving back. Some of the interviews that I've conducted lately have truly inspired myself in the way that I thought I was doing a lot to give back. But then I looked at some of the things that these people are doing and I am completely blown away by it. Their true selflessness and just ability to really remove their ego from a lot of what they're doing is amazing. I'm very excited for you to hear a lot of inspiring stories that not only I hope inspire you, but have truly inspired me to look at things differently. One thing that I really like about doing these interviews and being able to share them with you is is not only am I seeing different perspectives on life, it helps me to truly feel more connected to the world. And I say that because one thing 
I personally have struggled with is being stuck in the rabbit hole of YouTube or Netflix or even social media in the way of Facebook or Instagram. I think we've all gone through it at some point, but particularly in the last three months during this pandemic, it's been really easy to find yourself spending four or five hours looking at Facebook, looking at Instagram, looking at YouTube. Maybe you like a YouTube video and you watch it. Then you go to the suggested one and you find yourself in a rabbit hole, not really realizing what you're watching, but just doing it because our minds are addicted to being busy. And a lot of these people are people that have been able to, I'm not going to say be perfect and stay away from that, but they've been able to find things to fight themselves off from doing that. And a lot of it is giving back and being selfless. I've really taken a lot out of that. I try every single day to be that person that I'm being selfless and giving back to others in the way of helping coach baseball to the youth, giving back, or just trying to help people with insights or wisdom. At the end of the day, I know I don't know everything, but I'd love to be able to help somebody. And if one comment or three things that I say to somebody is able to help pick up their mood or maybe light that spark for them, it's truly amazing. And to me, I think that's what all of us need to focus on. The more we help others around us, the more that the world is going to continually get better and get away from this negative cycle that somehow we found ourselves in. Our guest today, I'm very excited to have shared with you guys. He's a person that has truly found his niche. Yes, he's a professional athlete. And yes, he's been very successful making it all the way up to AAA in the minor leagues. But he's dealt with a lot of injuries. He's come close to maybe not having a job, but he's found a way to stay positive. And during that whole time, one thing that goes under the radar is he has always found a way to give back to those who have given the most to him. He's found a way to always find ways to give back in the hometown or community that he's originally from in Okotoks, Alberta, giving back to the Okotoks Dogs Baseball Academy. He goes home and does winter coaching clinics. He does camps. He's always willing to mentor young kids, and he's truly been a person that has looked at it as if he's beneficial in the position he's in and he can take some of his time and give back to those around him, it not only benefits the community, but it benefits him as a human because at the end of the day, when we teach others, we actually learn more about ourselves. I'm incredibly excited for you guys to hear today's interview, and I'm excited for you guys to learn more about Jordan Procession. All right, our next guest, I'm really excited to bring on a guy that I've known for close to six and a half years, doesn't seem like it, but uh, time flies by, is uh, Jordan Procession. He is a guy that originally is from Okotoks, Alberta, grew up playing in the Okotoks Dogs organization in the academy, was a 14th round draft pick to Boston in 2014, has since played for the Dodgers and Cubs, won a silver medal with the Canadian men's national team in the Pan Am American Games in Lima, Peru. Attended North Kentucky University, played at Northeast Junior College in Colorado, and is currently situated in Sand, Sand Springs, Oklahoma. Welcome to the show, Jordan Procession. Thank you very much, Zach. My pleasure to have you here, man. So as we've kind of talked about um, throughout the years of discussion, obviously starting with your roots in uh, Okotoks, do you think the academy there kind of helped you build a mental mindset with the people that you're around to kind of go through some of the resiliency that not only you face as a baseball player, because of course you do, but just as being a Canadian and kind of an un, uncharacterized 
category. A lot of our friends growing up obviously would have been playing hockey. So kind of blazing your own trail with baseball, maybe you can just kind of talk about some of that, kind of the trials and tribulations that you went through with that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's uh, the Dogs Academy back there is, is the reason why I'm here today. You know, they, they gave me all the tools that I needed to become the best baseball player I could be and as, as well become a, a good human being. You know, that's, that's the biggest aspect that people forget is, you know, yeah, we're all athletes and we want to be the best we can on the field, but it also matters how we act off the field because you're carrying the logo of at that time for the dogs Academy across my chest on and off the field. Um, you know, it was, it was a good test for me as a young kid. When I first joined the dogs at 13, 14 years old, playing against 18 year olds, you know, when you can play up against guys that are older than you and, you know, a better competition at that time, it, it forces you to bring your game up. And like you talked about there, the resilience and the, and the mental aspect of it is, you know, you can either lose and be like, oh, we are supposed to lose because we're playing well guys or, you know, figure out, all right, how did they beat us? Why did they beat us? And how are we going to beat them next time? Uh, so, you know, yeah, the, my roots back in Oaks will never be lost. And, you know, I'm very, very thankful for what I have back there and, and definitely, you know, the, the path that they helped me create. And definitely, of course, the, the support group is such a big thing too. And I know I had the pleasure of meeting your parents in uh, 2014 and I know they're super supportive of you too. Do you think some of their um, wisdom that they passed along to you along the way was some of the biggest things that helped you be resilient as well? Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, I'm very thankful for my parents love them to death. They've, uh, they've been with me through the ups and downs of my baseball career from high school all the way through pro ball. Um, you know, they understand that, that baseball's not a sprint, that it's a marathon and, you know, there's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. Um, you know, 2013, I was expecting to get drafted pretty high by, uh, by the Royals and didn't even hear my name call once. And, you know, they were there for me. They supported me and, you know, they picked me up when, when I was pretty down. Um, so, you know, yeah, I'm very thankful for them. They, they are, they're a rock and, you know, it's, they, they've helped me through all this and I know they're still going to continue to help me even as I get older through, through life. Absolutely. I mean, having a huge support group around you is so important and just the, the mindset too. I mean, that's something that when you and I have had discussions over the years is something that I really appreciate is no matter what you've been up to or up against, you're always grateful for the opportunity. And I think, obviously I want to be biased saying being Canadian, that's something that's instilled with us, but, um, you know, always being grateful for a situation and grateful for the things that are going on. You know, we could, uh, especially in baseball, we have so many analytics statistics, we have different things. It'd be really easy to wallow in our, as you said, failures or miseries. But if we have people around us that are kind of help pick us up, then it's so much easier. So that's a huge thing for sure. Um, that's, and that's definitely something that I've admired about yourself. I know that, uh, obviously the road to the road to get to where you're at, we always have a dream of how it's going to go and, you know, a specific blueprint and for yourself, like almost everybody else, it doesn't go exactly as we plan, right? No. So talking about that a little bit, obviously you came up in the Dogs Academy. From there, you had the opportunity to go to Northeast Junior College in Colorado. Being a Canadian, obviously you have to go through a little bit different process than just showing up to the school. Maybe talk about what that process looked like and 
kind of how it transpired for you? Yeah, it's definitely, uh, definitely different than your typical, you know, U.S. high school kid who can just show up on campus or, you know, they have a whole bunch of those colleges around them all the time to take a look at them. Uh, so, you know, the, the first thing is, and this goes back to the academy with the dogs, is they, they got our exposure, uh, which is the biggest thing. It's really tough for Canadian kids to get exposed to colleges in the States. Um, but then the other, the other aspect that a lot of people don't know is as a Canadian citizen to be able to attend school in the States is you need to get a, a student visa. And for people who don't know that, I highly suggest you start working on that as soon as you decide which school you're going to. Um, Absolutely. Or it can take, it can take some time. I'm sure nowadays it's a lot quicker than it was when I was in, in school. Um, maybe not right now with the pandemic going on. Um, but definitely as soon as, as soon as you sign your letter of intent or you are, you know exactly where you're going to go, start looking online as to, as to what you need to do to get that, uh, to get that student visa. Yeah. And, uh, myself going through the same process, I can attest to all of that. It's uh, so important to jump on it early and to really actually know what you're up against. Cause when you were going through that, did you have a lot of little things that popped up? Maybe one thing that I found is a lot of the coaches in the United States, unless they've had a Canadian player come there before, they don't necessarily understand the whole side of it. And of course, it's not just the baseball side, the academic side too. You have the, maybe the people in the academic office that don't understand necessarily the process. Did you, did you have a pretty easy transition that they had guys go to the school before, or were you kind of the guy that opened the doors there? Um, there were my freshman year, uh, there were three of us Canadians. Um, and we were the first three Canadians at the school, I believe if I'm incorrect, sorry, coach. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure we we're the first three Canadians that they had. And, you know, I was pretty, pretty lucky that the transition was, was decently smooth. Um, I took my SAT back in Canada at that time. I didn't even know what the ACT was. Um, so I put myself through the strain of a SAT instead. Um, but as for the school aspect of it, they accepted all my transcripts, um, from high school, thankfully, obviously I needed to get them a little bit later because in Canada, we didn't graduate until late June, whereas in the States they're done in May. Um, so as for the academic side of it, it was, it went pretty smooth. I was, I was lucky for that. Um, and thankfully we didn't have any hiccups, um, before, during getting my during getting my student visa. Yeah. And as you said, with the hiccups, I mean, that's a huge part. Cause if you have any of that, it can almost change the whole semester for you. Yeah. I know there's, I know there's a few guys that have had that happen, unfortunately yeah. too, for sure. So, um, what do you think the hardest part, obviously being a kid from Canada, what was the hardest part about transitioning to living in the United States you think was? Um, I don't know. I was, uh, I was pretty fortunate. Uh, you know, the city of Sterling there in Colorado, it's, it's very similar to Alberta. I find, I find Colorado would be the state. If you were to compare it to Canada, it would be Alberta. Uh, you know, you got the Rockies in the West and you got the Plains in the East. Um, and Sterling was pretty close, pretty similar to Oak Tokes. Um, you know, there's a lot of agriculture there. So I, I was very fortunate in that aspect as well that, you know, the transition of, moving to the States as a Canadian kid, the only thing I didn't have was I didn't have a hockey rink right down the street. Right 
Yeah. So, um, and we still had the snow and everything. So I, it was, it was very, uh, very homey for me. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's perfect. I know, uh, anybody I've talked to about Colorado's had very similar things to say too. So that's awesome. Um, what do you think a, like a common myth that a lot of Canadians believe about transitioning from sports in Canada to the United States would be? Uh, the biggest myth, it kind of depends on, on where, what state you're going to, um, is the fact that people play baseball year round, you know, like, especially when I was in Colorado from August, September until December, November, December, it's football. It is football season. They die and they freaking <laughs> eat and breathe, breathe football. And then in the wintertime, it's basketball. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure those southern states down in California, here in Oklahoma, I, I've seen it um, that they do play baseball year-round. Uh, football is still a big thing. Um, but the only the, – the myth – is that they have such an advantage because they can get out year-round. Yes, they can get out year-round. It's beautiful outside. But they do play other sports as well. Yeah, and I that was something that I experienced as well. You know, when we're in Canada, we're always sitting there thinking, doing comparative analysis as we do, thinking, oh, every kid in the States is so far ahead because of the year-round training. I think it just comes down to population density, honestly, at the end of the mm-hmm. day. And, uh, no, I, I, yeah, so you definitely experienced it in the same way. So you had a great time at Northeast junior college after that went through a little bit of a letdown as you, as you've said, and we've talked about, we're definitely expecting to get drafted fairly high with the Royals and didn't get that call. That's a faithful day for a lot of people. Um, it's a, it's story as old as time. Unfortunately, there's a lot of guys that have had that dream handed and it just never transpired. So obviously during that summer, a um, little bit down, but we're very resilient, played for the Okotoks dogs, summer collegiate team. And what was the process of transferring and trying to go from junior college to NCA like, especially because had you previously set yourself up to go there or was it kind of a, a backfall in case the draft did once the draft didn't happen? I mean, after about halfway through my sophomore year, um, you know, I was, I was looking at being done for, with college, with college ball and, and school for the next however many years while I played professional baseball. Um, so at, at that point, yeah, it was more of just a fallback plan of just, uh, you know, I, I have it there. Um, and thankfully I did, you know, it was, it was a, a, sh- a kick in, a kick to the guts you know, that I didn't get, I didn't hear my name called. And what made it even worse is I watched every single day of the draft, all three of them. Um, you know, I knew that I wasn't going in the first day. Um, but I still, to this day, I like watching the first day of the draft. Um, but it was, it was a, a big ego check. Um, and just, it was, it was tough, you know, not, not hearing my name called. So yes, it was more of a backup plan and a fallback that I signed. Um, obviously, you know, I have to try and go somewhere after my sophomore year. Um, and I was happy with my decision to sign at Northern Kentucky, but halfway through my sophomore year, I had no plans of going there. Right. And that's, that's something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand is as an athlete, when you're being directed by certain people and told, 
it's really easy to get almost tunnel vision towards a certain thing. And luckily for yourself, you did have a backup plan because I, I know multiple people that haven't had a fallback plan uh, and it can turn into a very interesting roller coaster after that. Um, do you think that that kind of lit more of a fire, especially because you were coming off of a, a knee injury and you had had a great year, you ended up becoming an All-American and at, as you said, kind of an ego check. Do you think that was kind of a humbling experience, but also a little bit, little bit more of a fire to really take, all right, what do I need to do to step myself up and move forward? It was, at first it wasn't, you know, at first it was one of those things. It was like, I had to, I'd look myself in the mirror and be like, okay, I did everything I could this year. What more do I need to do? Like, I, I tried to look at it in the sense of, you know, I, I showed everything I could. I hit for average, for power. Uh, I defensively, you know, I, I checked off all, all the boxes that you need to check off. So that was the hardest part for me to get past. Um, so, you know, I'm very thankful for that 2013 summer, uh, summer dogs team because we became a family very close. And, you know, I, I think if it wasn't for that team, it would be really hard to say where I'd be today because mm-hmm. they allowed me to fall back into the game, fall back in love with the game of baseball because we just had fun. Right. So eventually, yeah, you know, it was just one of those things where, all right, screw it. You know, I didn't get picked, nothing I can do. I'm just going to go and get back to enjoying the game and continue to work hard and, you know, let the chips fall where they're going to. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's something that's hugely admirable, right? Especially, especially being a young man, right. Or a young woman having, an expectation that we create or an expectation that we feel is going to happen and it not, it's such a hugely deflating thing. And to be able to find resilience, but also to be able to find a passion back in going back into the same thing that essentially was the reason why we were down is one of the hardest things for anybody to do, right? Is to step out of that comfort zone and be like, okay, look at yourself in the mirror and be like, I need to get out of my own way to get what I want. Yeah. yeah. And I, that's something that I've really admired about your process to get where you're at. So then Northern Kentucky have a really good year. And after that, obviously you're coming out feeling pretty good expectations. You're thinking that you're going to get drafted. Were you going into the draft that year with the same mindset or did you kind of go in with, you know what, what happens happens? It was, I was going into it with what happens happens, but you know, any, any competitive competitive person, you know, the back of my mind was, all right, well, what, I, I really want this to happen. You know, I think it's going to happen. Um, and so it, it was tough. Um, I was expecting to go on the second day. Um, and I didn't watch the draft. I, I learned my lesson from the year before and, uh, you know, it was, I didn't get picked that day and it was either going to be late the second day or early the first or early the third day. And I got a call from the Red Sox that night after uh, the second day saying, hey, we don't know if we can get you get what you're looking for. And so to ha- hear that call, you know, it, it was uh, it was tough. It was like, great, is this happening all over again? So I told him, I said, hey, I'm ready to play professional baseball. I'm like, you take my name, you're not going to regret it. And you're, you're going to be, we're going to be able to sign, come to an agreement. So that put me in, not in the, I was, I was upset when I got that call saying, Hey, we don't know. Cause all I could think about was what happened the year before. 
So the next day I, I woke up, went golfing with my brother, his buddy and my buddy. And, you know, so then that's when I got the call, mm. but it was, it, I was worried. I'm not going to lie. I was trying to let it be what it was, but I was worried. Yeah, of course. And, and that's, especially when you've worked so hard for that goal, you know, you, you had the injury, you had some success. So it's something that you really want. And, it, and uh, I, I remember talking to you the day after and just, you know, the relief you could see after we talked the days leading up to the days after and just so relieved. It was, it was a cool feeling or a cool thing to see. The other thing too, you brought light to the conversation on the phone. And I think that's an aspect that a lot of people don't truly understand about sports is that it is a business and it is approached that way. At the end of the day, you are an athlete and you're blessed to be able to continue playing the game that you love or a kid's game and get financial compensation for it. But there's a lot of other stuff that goes on. Do you think that that was your first insight to maybe mentally preparing yourself and kind of putting yourself at more of a mental edge than maybe some of the other guys, even just that short phone call, maybe set something in your mind proving, Hey, look, like it is a business and there are certain things I'm going to have to do to be successful. Yes. And no, Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously a little bit because you know, there's going to be times where they're not going to really see what you're worth until they have you right in front of, in front of them. Um, but at the same time, until you actually get into the game and get into the business, you you really can't prepare yourself until you are in it. Um, you know, it's one of those things that I'll tell any catcher I work with is you can work as hard as you want in the gym and train your legs, but until you actually catch a game, your legs are not going to be in shape. Right. So it's the same side with the mental, with the business side of it is, you know, you can prepare yourself to understand that, Hey, look, yeah, this is a business, but until you experience it firsthand, you, you don't truly know exactly what's going on. Right. Um, so obviously you're beaming after getting drafted and then you run into being a Canadian, you need the visa (laughs) during that time, during that month and a half that it took for you to get the visa. Was there any contact from them about, Hey, stay positive. Or was it just kind of, Hey, you're on your own until you get it. And once you get here, then things will go. What did that process look like for you? It actually, it actually worked out pretty well in my favor um, because my sister was getting married that summer in June. Uh, so, you know, I got drafted on the 7th and, uh, and her wedding was on the 21st. And so I called them and uh, my scout right away was like, hey, we're going to fly you out tomorrow. I was like, I'm pretty sure I can't come across the border yet until you get my visa. Right. He goes, oh, that's right. I'm like, yeah. So we got the visa process and they took care of everything. You know, it's uh, very fortunate for that, that they took care of all of that aspect of it. So I was just waiting for them to let me know that my visa came. Uh, during that time, they stayed in contact with me. They, they let me know where I was reporting to, um, you know, what to expect. When I got there, gave me a whole uh, booklet of, of all the information I needed. Mm-hmm. So it was good. The communication aspect was great. They, uh, they kept in touch and I kept working out, kept in baseball shape as much as I could without actually playing. Um, you know, up until that year, that was the first year I'd never played a game of baseball in June, except for maybe this year. Yeah. Um, so that was weird uh, for that, for those times to kind of not play baseball. And I'll never forget the day before I made my debut, I talked to my manager, Joe Oliver. He goes, Hey, you're only going to catch five innings tomorrow. I'm like, what do you mean? 
He goes, when was the last time you caught? I was like, mm, a game, like early May. He goes, exactly. You're not going to be able to last a full nine innings. <laughs> it was after like my fifth inning, him and I will still talk about it. He goes, remember that day when you, when you made your debut and I only gave you five innings, you're upset. And then you're dying after the fifth. I was like, yeah, I don't, don't, don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the the nice thing is obviously had an easy transition. Would you say that that's because of just the Red Sox having that pedigree of being able to really kind of integrate people, or do you think it's just how it is all the way across the minors? I think it's pretty similar across the minors. Um, you know, everybody, every organization from what I've heard has done it a little bit differently. Um, the organizations do take care of the visas, which is nice. Um, so that way it doesn't force us to have to go to all the government, uh, buildings and fill out all the paperwork. Um, so we're, we're lucky in that aspect. Um, as for the communication part, I can't speak for other organizations except for those that I've been a part of. Um, and from what I've heard, it's just a time thing. You know, it just depends on, on how long it's going to take. Some are quicker than others. Um, and that's at the end of the day, it, it just depends on how long it takes, which is out of our control. Yeah, of course. And that, and that's something that again, to come back to the, the earlier story, I think for yourself learned early, which I think has been a benefit to yourself. I'm sure you can attest is just control what you control, right? Can't stress too much about the other stuff. Um, so then you get there, obviously you make your professional debut. The season's rolling pretty good. Do you think that you put more pressure on yourself and caused everything to speed up in the game? Because I know as we move forward, obviously, we see that end game, we see that goal, and we get so close to where we want that all of a sudden we maybe want it so bad that we don't stay in the moment, we speed things up. Do you think that that happened a little bit? Of course it happens small on small level. Or do you think that playing for the dog's program with the way that it's set up and it is essentially ran like a, a minor league organization helped you prepare for what the pressure might be for from the fans and things like that I was, I was pretty prepared um yeah. you know that going that that first season um transitioning from college into professional baseball the, the biggest difference that I found was you just didn't have really an off day when it came to any bad pitchers you know, in college, when you get to a Sunday guy or your midweek starters, they're not their top arms anymore. Um, so you're just, you're facing everybody's number one and two every single day in professional baseball. Cause those are the guys getting drafted. Um, it was a, a pretty heavy college league in the New York Penn league that summer, um, which is, is pretty standard for this short season. Um, that's where a lot of the college draft guys go. Uh, but yeah, you know, it was pressure wise, pressure wise from the fans kind of being there. I was a little bit nervous, um, in my debut and I'll never forget this. And I, I still tell kids this to, to, uh, to this day when it comes to catching is my legs were still shaking and, you know, I was a little bit nervous making my debut. Hadn't had my first at bat yet. And we had a ground ball double play to end the inning. And so I started running, backing up first base, and our shortstop overthrew our first baseman, bounced off the wall. I got it, back picked the guy at first, inning over. And so right there just reminded me, like, hey, this is just baseball. It's another game. And that allowed me – that little moment right there just allowed me to sink in and, and kind of settle in, went, got my first at bat out of the way, got a hit. 
Um, whereas, you know, if I don't, if that play doesn't happen, maybe I don't get a hit my first at bat because I'm not as comfortable. So yeah, the, the Academy is definitely run like a minor league system, uh, as, as you go up the ranks. And so pressure wise, no, I, I didn't put pressure on myself that first season. That's, that's the exact answer that I knew you were going to say. I'm really glad you said that. Cause I think that's something that a lot of younger kids that are aspiring to jump from high school to college need to understand that the biggest jump is from high school to college. The biggest jump from college to professional baseball, whether it be in the minor leagues or it be in the independent ball or internationally overseas isn't as big. So if you can make that jump from high school to college, do you think that it is a lot easier, as you said, just to transition into pro ball if you do get that opportunity? It is. As long as you, as long as you understand that, you know, you're, you're there for a reason. You know, you were drafted for a reason. It's just like when guys go to college, it's that transition of you got a scholarship for a reason. You're here. Let your game play. Um, obviously, you're going to face better talent. There's, there's no debating that. There's going to be some guys that you witness, some of the guys that I've seen play. It's impressive. They just, they're different on the baseball field. Uh, and those are the elite of the elite. But at the end of the day, it's still a game of baseball. and the talent gets better. Absolutely. But the game only speeds up if you allow it to. Right. And that's, that's something that uh, is huge to be able to keep yourself from getting overran by the statistics or the analytics or anything like that. Did you adapt or evolve into any processing? Do you like, do you do visualization? Do you do meditation? Do you focus on breathing? it doesn't matter what clubhouse you're in or what guys you talk to. Everybody has their own weird thing. We call it superstitions in sports, but that is something that is a mental, a mental edge that you give to yourself, right? Do you have anything that really stands out that is a process that it's like, I do this every single day? I mean, I try and I make sure that I have a routine. Um, I try and stay away from superstitions Mm -hmm. just because say your schedule gets all messed up and you don't have enough time for that specific superstition. Um, everything has to be able to adapt. Everything has to be able to change on the fly just because of the way baseball is, you know, I mean, one time we had our bus catch fire. So that way we were late to the game and you know, you don't have your typical five, six hours to get ready for your game. Um, you know, I, I put on my left shoe first then my right, I put on my left uh, shin guard then my right. So small things like that. Um, as for visualization, yeah, I, I love to, uh, I love to visualize. That's why I do like hitting. If it's a new park I've never played at before, I want to go and I want to hit on field BP. So in that way I can visualize myself in a game when the ball's coming out of the pitcher's hand. Um, and then to me, the biggest thing is breathing. You know, I, before I step in the box, I'll take a big deep, deep breath in. And then before I step in, I'll, I'll let it out. All everything that is in my mind, I clear it. And, and then I know I'm just focused on the, on the pitcher. Yeah. And, and that's so important. I mean, whether you're doing a presentation at work, playing sports, just being able to take that five seconds and just release that tension, as you said, can be immensely, immensely right. helpful. Absolutely. When kind of going from a transition, obviously you have the unknown of moving up, moving down. Did you adapt to the clubhouse changing a lot. Cause I know some, some players, sometimes we get really 
it's easy to get set where we get comfortable. Did you ever feel comfortable? Like, yeah, this is where I'm going to be at. Or were you always like, okay, not thinking that somebody's going to come and take your job, but at the same time, really working your ass off to not let that happen. Every, every day working, working my ass off to make that not happen. Um, yeah. you know, I experienced my first promotion, um, it was my first year of pro ball in 2014. Actually, I was back in, in Okotoks for my brother's wedding. Uh, they were get, they gave me the time off. It was lucky that it timed up with our all-star break. Um, and the day I was flying back to Lowell, Massachusetts, um, my manager called me and said, Hey, so when you get back here, pack up your bags, pack up your locker, you're getting your first promotion. So that was when I first got, that was when I got my first taste of the change of locker rooms. Um, and that's when I realized how quick it can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, after that, it was just a, I don't want to get too comfortable somewhere. I have to find a way to be comfortable because if you're not comfortable, you're not gonna be able to play well. Of course. So you have to find a way to make it comfortable without getting too comfy at the same time. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's, yep, I'm happy here. You know, it's, it's a good spot, but when my time comes, I'm ready to go. Right. Um, the, the biggest time I can tell you, we're going to jump ahead a few years would be 2018. My last year with the Red Sox was, was the toughest year for me. You know, I, I didn't have a good year in 2017 and I came into spring training thinking that I was going to be out of a job, um, at the end of spring training. And, you know, I had a good, pretty good spring training. I showed them, came into camp, really good shape. And I showed them that I was here for, uh, for a reason. Uh, you know, I broke camp in double A and before the first game even started, I hurt my oblique and hurt my oblique. Didn't tell them. Cause I knew if I told them that I was going to be, that I was hurt, that my year is probably gonna be done. Mm-hmm. I'd either get released or I'd end up on the DL and they'd never take me off. Um, so tried to play through it. Couldn't. And then after that, I was like, all right, when, when someone taking my job, cause I can't do anything about it. And sure enough, I moved three, three different times that year. So you worried about someone taking your job. That was, that was the year that it happened. Right. And so definitely, and that's something that is, I think unique to professional sports in the way that let's say you get a job working sales and you're, you know, you're killing it. You're doing really well. It's easy to kind of get a little bit comfortable because there's not necessarily going to be somebody that's going to just walk in, kick you out of your office. Yeah. And that is where, when you were talking about the breathing and visualization and things like that, the releasing of the stress, the releasing of the tension, that's such a huge thing in sports. And I think that's something that I really appreciate you talking about because it sheds light onto that aspect that I think a lot of people don't understand to the level of where it can get. Yeah. You know, we look at some former big leaguers that have come out, Zach Grinke, different players like that that have come out and talked about the immense amount of pressure and anxiety, depression, things that they've dealt with and the ways that they've gone through it. So it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting, it's interesting to hear the true insight behind it. And it's much appreciated, I think, by a lot of people. So to kind of circle back before we get too far ahead here, we, uh, 2015, you become an all-star in the South Atlantic League, obviously have a great year. At that point, did you, after the All-Star game, just to kind of shed a little bit of light onto how the situation would work, after being selected to the All-Star game, 
did you have any talks about possible promotion or was that just that congratulations on becoming an all-star or keep doing your thing? Cause I think for a lot of people, they think, Oh, you're an all-star automatically. You're moving up. That's uh, yeah. People, people like to think that, um, you know, that was the last thing on my mind, honestly, you know, I was, I was living in the moment every single day. You know, I've, a lot of things that people don't know about that season is, is April. I think I finished hitting 200 with like one RBI. And then I turned it around. I'll never forget the game. I turned it around. I was talking to my brother. And then I went on to be an all-star. You know, I had an unbelievable month of May. I had a good month of June. Um, so when I was selected to be the all, to be the starting, uh, to be in the starting lineup for the all-star game, it was, I was ecstatic about it. I was super happy. Um, but it wasn't on my mind like, okay, I deserve a promotion now. It was, all right, let's go enjoy the all-star game. I've never been a part of one of these before. I'm excited. Um, and then fortunately, you know, after the all-star game, we had a day off and that was when I got the phone call that I was getting promoted to high A. Which is, which is a unique and awesome story for yourself too. Cause I know, I think that I've heard it. I've read forums. I'm sure a lot of, you know, fans of teams all of a sudden go, Oh, this guy's getting promoted because he's an all-star not understanding that there's a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. So the progression of how that worked for yourself is awesome. And again, always very admirable and following along and have enjoyed the enjoyed watching along. So again, had a lot of success. I know you said that things didn't go that great in 2018, but circling back to pre or sorry, didn't go great in 2017, but circling back to preseason, you got the big league invitation. What was that like? Was there a huge difference in locker room and mentality in did you really see what separated okay here's what separates these guys from everybody else because I think for a lot of people they look at it as everybody's a professional athlete and these guys get paid more money just because of x or y they don't truly understand that there are the shining things that really make those guys stand out yeah it's um you know to be in to be in that locker room with, with David Price, with Dustin Pedroia, you know, um, that was the first year without David Ortiz. Um, but to be in that locker room with all of those guys at Hanley Ramirez, it was, it was something else. You know, the way that they go about their business, they're, they're just like any other guy. You know, they're just like you and I, talk crap, have fun, play cards, you know, and then once it's time to get down to business, they're all business. And that's the way it is in all, in all of baseball and all of professional sport. Um, but it's just their consistency to their routines. They are down to the minute, down to the second with their routines. And they're so consistent with their work. You know, they're not, they're not going to get complacent. They're not going to, you know, be like, oh, I'm not feeling right today. I'm just going to skip it. No, they're, they get through everything they do. And I'm not saying minor leaguers don't because we do. Of course. You know? And it's one of those things that, you know, they're, they're pretty damn good. There's a reason that they're in the big <laughs> leagues. There's a reason they're getting paid millions of dollars. Of course. Um, and so it was, it was awesome to be around those guys and just kind of see how they go about their business on a daily, on a day-to-day schedule and how much fun that they still have at that level. You know, they're still kids. Yeah. They course. still, they still have a blast in the locker room. And, you know, they're playing ping pong every single day in there. And, 
just music's blasting. So it, it was, uh, it was a good experience for me to be able to be a part of that. Yeah, of course. And that's, you know, probably a few people listening to it and you're doing the, the humble, the humble brag about being there with some of the names and just, you know, jaw dropping a little bit. Do you think that one of the, I know you talked about consistency and, and that's something that whether you're doing sports, business, anything like that, consistency and being able to have a plan and sticking to it, but not resting, as you said, not getting complacent. Did you coming out of that camp had a more instilled fire that maybe pushed you to work a little bit harder because you saw what it was like, okay, here's the separation of where I maybe am at and where they're at. Yeah, it was, I mean, you know, for those, I was up in big league camp for five weeks and I felt, I felt like a big leaguer for those five weeks. And, uh, you know, it's, it was, it, it let me understand. All right. You know, this is where I'm at. This is where I need to be. So how are we going to make this work? You know, what are we going to do? How am I going to get better work on a daily basis to get there? Mm-hmm. And then you said you dealt with injuries and had a tough, had a tough 2018 coming out of 2018, uh, obviously had parting ways with Boston. Do you think that obviously in a different level, but do you think the resiliency of not being drafted in 2013 helped you prepare for that unknown phase afterwards? Yeah, I do. Um, You know, I was, I was at a point where, in 2018 when the season ended that, or I guess when my time ended with the Red Sox is ended before the season ended that, you know, I was at a point where I was at peace with baseball. You know, if, if that was where my career ended, I would have been okay with it. You know, if I was still going to stay in shape, I was still going to stay ready uh, for when that phone call came and I was still making phone calls for myself to get signed. Um, But yeah, definitely dealing with what I dealt with in 2013 helped me be like, all right, stuff's not always going to go your way. How are you going to bounce back from it? Yeah. And that's one of the things that I think is one of the hardest things for any of us to learn in life is that we might not see it at the time, but everything that we've gone through is a lesson to help us deal with what we're dealing with now. And it, and I definitely, I know we talked a little bit after you were released from the Red Sox and I, a lot of people would have been really down Obviously, that's the only organization you knew in professional yeah. baseball. Would have been really easy to be like, oh, woe is me, but super positive attitude. And then it turned into latch on with the Dodgers. Going into that, did you have maybe, maybe not a newfound love for the game, but a newfound appreciation and gratitude to being there? Not that you took it for granted before, but maybe a newfound perception on the whole process of what you're going through. I, I can tell you this wholeheartedly that I, I fell in love with the game again when I signed on back with the Dodgers. Um, you know, when I signed, it was one of those things where at the time they just needed another catcher for spring training. And, and I understood that. So I went in knowing that it might be a, a two month thing and, and I'm gone come the end of March. So that kind of going into it with that perspective of look, go have fun. You're back in affiliated baseball. And whatever happens, happens. You can go out and hit 500 and they still might release you. You could go out and hit 100 and they'll keep you. So just go and enjoy it. So I went in and, you know, I made a bunch of friends at spring training. 
Um, and I just took in as much as I could and found that love that I had lost for the game back in the year, the year prior, you know, ending things with the Red Sox. It was just, I have no hard feelings toward the, towards the Red Sox at all. It was just, you know, was, that was the business side of it that, that made me kind of not, I didn't hate baseball, but you know, I just fell out of love with it. So yeah, you're right. You know, signing with the Dodgers and, and experiencing everything that I got to experience regain my love that I once had for the team, for the, for the game that I've loved since I was a three-year-old kid. Right. And, and that's, that's something that I, I, I figured that was out again, how you were going to answer just cause I know that after we talked again, after you'd signed up with them, you could see that you had that newfound spark. And I think that's something that again, to circle back to what we talked about earlier, not trying to control everything, realizing control, what you can control and just take things as they come at you. You know, the old adage is when life throws you a curveball, you know, be prepared to hit it. Right. Yeah. We don't necessarily know what side of the, you know, what side of the mound it's coming from, whether it's going to be from the left or the right, but just be ready for it. And I think yeah. that's something that is for yourself has definitely helped. And that mindset has been something that's been able to keep you going, which is awesome. So obviously having a good year and you're playing in Tulsa, Oklahoma and for the Tulsa drillers, and then you, meet somebody who maybe inspires you to stay in Oklahoma. <laughs> so now that's where you're currently at. You're currently living there in the off season and you're doing some uh, camps and helping out with uh, the growth of the game in that area. Do you think that the lessons that you've learned along the way, whether it be from obviously the humble beginnings in Okotoks to playing for the junior national team in Canada to going to the different college experiences to kind of feeling adversity, failure, dealing with injuries helps you connect to those kids more than maybe say somebody that would have had a clear path where it was okay. We went to a top flight D one and was drafted and then boom, here it is. Do you think that helps you connect more or do you think that it's, it's just something that you would have naturally been good at? It's, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, everybody develops their personality and who they are through their experiences in life. You know, uh, everybody has their own story. So even for those guys that, you know, they do get to go to the top division ones and they become a first rounder or a first overall pick out of college. And then, you know, they fly through the minors. They still have their own story. Um, but as for my story, yeah, you know, everything that I've been through uh, helps me connect to people a little bit differently. You know, maybe that kid who was in my shoes, you know, I was once in their shoes in the sense of, you know, maybe they do have an injury their their senior year of high school, or, you know, they're going into their senior year, they've gotten no looks in colleges and, you know, they're, they don't know where they're going to go. Um, so, so yeah, everything that I've been through, definitely, I, I can connect to kids a little bit easier that way. Um, and, and, you know, it also, it helps me as well. You know, it reminds me of just, Hey, look, this is what you have been through and look at where you're at. You know, you're still standing on two feet. You know, I'm, I'm here in Oklahoma for a reason, you know, found the girl that I love and you know, it's just, it's one of those things that you never know what's going to happen. I don't sign with the Dodgers. I'm not here today. So, and I don't get that opportunity with the Cubs. So there's so many different 
things that come from our experiences that allow me to help out, you know, those kids that are, are just starting their career. Yeah. And that's something that I think is one of the most rewarding things about going through our experiences is being able to help other people along the way. As you said, being able to relate to that kid that was in high school that had an injury relating to that kid in college that has that unknown and being able to be humble enough to express those values to other people is something that is truly admirable about yourself too. I know when you go back and do the Okotoks camps, when you go back and you're involved with the dogs, one of the big things that you're always focusing on is just telling everybody, look, I started here too. You're not walking in like you're the man and nobody talked to you. You're walking in, you embrace everybody coming up to you. You embrace everybody talking to you. And that's, it's definitely, definitely an admirable quality, especially for yourself. It'd be really easy to be cocky or overconfident, but the humble beginnings and just the mindset throughout, I think is, has been able to keep you on that level, which is very nice to see for sure. So last summer as well, to circle back 2019, you had the opportunity to play for the Canadian men's national team. You'd played for the Canadian junior national team previously, but you never had the opportunity to play for the Canadian men's national team. What was that experience like? It was, it was awesome. You know, it was a, it was a blast. It was one of those things I didn't know if I was going to get the opportunity to do. Um, and you know, for them to, for Greg to call, call me and say, Hey, we got a roster spot for you. Are you, uh, you want to fill it? And it was, it was a no brainer for me. Um, so it was, it was a very interesting experience being in a third world country there in, in Peru. Um, it made you realize how lucky we truly are over here, uh, from just an economical standpoint. Um, you know, right where the baseball field was, it was, it was in some of the, some of the not so good areas over there. Um, same with where the, the athlete village was, um, but playing for team Canada again, having, having Canada across my chest was, was awesome. Uh, you know, like you said, it's been since high school. Um, and another, another thing that's, that's fun for my family is the fact that, um, my uncle played, uh, hockey in the 94 Olympics in Lillehammer. Um, and won a silver medal then. And, you know, for me, I know it's not the Olympics, but still the Pan Am Olympics. So to have two Olympic athletes in, in the family, obviously I wish I would have won gold so I could hold that over my uncle. Um, <laughs> awesome but it, was, rights, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty surreal, especially for my parents, because they got to go to Lilyhammer in 94 and then they were able to make it to Peru last summer. Yeah. And of course, walking away with the silver medal, of course, you'd rather come away with the, <laughs> come away with the gold, but still a, you know, in a, a life-changing event. Do you think that, do you think that coming out of that and really experiencing baseball from all the different cultures of the teams that you guys played against and everything, as you said, you, you know, you take an appreciation from your surroundings in the, in the country that you were playing in, but did you see maybe some talent on the other side that never got the opportunity to play in the minors or play big leagues that you thought maybe should have. And you went, wow, that puts a more, even more drive into yourself. Yeah. I mean, you know, it just, it showed to me that, you know, I didn't know the background of, of a bunch of the players that we were playing against. Um, I knew one of the guys on, on the Dominican Republic cause I played with him when I was with the Red Sox. Um, but you know, it's, is one of those things that it goes again with the economical standpoint of thankful where I am. And, you know, with the baseball side of it is, 
you see everything going around you, you see that there's not those top notch facilities, but they still find ways to, to play. And, you know, there's some pretty good ball players out there that just sadly never get a chance. Yeah. And, and again, just almost kind of from, from talking and obviously during the interview, you just realizing how small sometimes the, the things that we think are so massive actually are in perspective, yeah. right? It, you know, whether it be, I didn't get to go to the exact junior college I wanted to go to, or, you know, the, the D1 that I wanted to, we're still fortunate to get to do those things. Uh, it definitely, I definitely appreciate the humble, the humble approach to everything. As I said at the beginning and throughout, that's uh, something I've definitely appreciated about your process and I'm happy to have you on. I am really excited to be able to follow where you're going. For the people that want to continue following along, watch Jordan's progression moving forward, whatever that entails, you can find him on Instagram at jpro07 and on Twitter at jprocession17. Thank you very much again for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's been an honor. We'll definitely have you on again. Do some more. We can dive some more into kind of mindset and everything on that aspect. And uh, yeah, that's all I can do. I just say thank you very much, man. I appreciate it, Zach. Hey guys, thank you very much for listening to the interview with Jordan Procession. I'm really excited to see what's next for him. As obviously you could tell from the interview, he's a guy that's been through a lot, but he's been able to stay very humble and be able to give back to a lot of people. So I'm very intrigued to see what's next. Obviously during the pandemic, um, minor league baseball as well as baseball in general is just kind of in a weird place. So it'll be interesting to see how that transpires. We'll definitely keep you updated on what's going on. If you liked the episode and you enjoyed the interview, please share it with your friends as well. Subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And please follow along with us on the social media platforms, whether that be on Instagram or on Facebook or even on Twitter. The links to those pages will be in the show notes. I appreciate the follow and the subscription as it helps me grow the podcast, which in turn helps me to bring on more amazing guests just like Jordan and Anthony Flask in the episode before that. I wish you all a great weekend and I look forward to continuing down the road of limitless possibilities.